Welcome to Round Hill Radio, the podcast from Round Hill Community Church. Through our conversations, we discover the holy and the ordinary, find moments of grace and peace, and redefine what we talk about when we talk about faith. Today, Ed and I welcome associate pastor here at Round Hill Community Church, Dan Haug. Dan leads the youth and young adult programming for the congregation, as well as local and global outreach efforts and community engagement. We welcome Pastor Dan. Well, go team. We've got the whole team here, or most of the team. Most of the team. Yeah, we've got Leslie and Dan Haug, our associate pastor. Hi. Welcome, Dan. Thank you. It's good to be here. This is very exciting. This is. So um, we're going to ask Dan some questions, and he really doesn't know what they are. No, I do not. We wanted to keep an element of surprise, (laughs) uh, even for myself. I'm not sure what questions I'm asking, so how's that? We're podcasting on the edge. On the edge. Here it is. So actually, I thought I wanted to start with... um, kind of a classic question. It's often asked of ministers, but it came up recently in a conversation I heard among a few people in the congregation, you know, thinking about what is it that gets one started in ministry? And Dan, I wonder if you could say something about, um, you know, where did the journey begin towards ministry? And was there someone or several people who had a really formative influence on you to kind of encourage you along? Yeah, it's a good question. Back in high school, I remember I was a sophomore, junior in high school, and I started to get more involved in my local youth group. So I had a youth pastor that took me under his wings and sort of mentored me a bit. Hmm. And during that time, I had this desire welling up inside of me to to help people. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't sure what that looked like. I wasn't sure where, but I always had this desire to help people. And my older cousin, Michael, had he was five years older than me. He had recently gone off to college to study to be a youth minister. Hmm. And so he sort of was my example, and I kind of shadowed him, and I saw what he was studying, and then he eventually went to be a youth pastor. So I watched him, and I think he was a really good example to me. And I saw the path that he was going down, and it, it intrigued me and inspired me and encouraged me to sort of follow that path. And I ended up going to the same college he went to. Wow. So was it actually ministry with youth right from the beginning as opposed to ministry in a broader sense that yeah, was it, pulling you along? Yeah, it was. I think partly because my life had changed radically when I was in high school because of youth ministry. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to be a part of helping that process and helping um, sort of youth peers and then those younger than me sort of experience a, a more full and flourishing life. Hmm. And that was the context I was in. So I started some groups in my high school and college campuses. And eventually I discovered I had sort of an affinity or a, a, a real passion for hmm. for youth. I mean, my peer group. And then as I got older, the younger teenagers. So yeah, from the very beginning, it started off with youth ministry. Wow. And so as that has evolved for you, um, have there been people along the way since that time who've kind of continued to inspire you? Or have there been certain biblical stories or books that really kind of energized you along the way? Is this where we say Jesus? I think you, this is this the answer. would be a yes. perfect time to say Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, I think in my own journey, other youth ministers who came when I was younger, who came alongside and sort of mentored me, people who were in youth ministry but older than I was, Mm -hmm. served as really good examples. And 
though I sort of joked about that answer, I think as I started to uh, discover the biblical stories and the narrative, yep. the life of Jesus was really appealing to me. Hmm. And so I want to go back to that for just a little bit. So even when you were beginning to discover this in high school and your cousin was an influence and so on, mm-hmm. was the figure of Jesus even at that point starting to become influential or would you say... Uh, that happened a little bit further down the road. And, and I'm asking this because sometimes when I talk with people about their spiritual journeys, they'll say, well, you know, it wasn't really Jesus initially. It was my sense of God or the Holy Spirit. Um, so I'm just curious about how that unfolded for you. Hmm. Yeah, I think it 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 was Jesus. Mm-hmm. In, as I, I mean, I knew some of the stories. I was raised in the church, so I was familiar with some of the stories. Mm-hmm. But then as I started to discover them for myself and started to attend church and have other youth ministers um, kind of unpack the stories more, they became more alive to me and more real and relevant. Mm. And I started to realize, you know, what is it about this person who is so remarkable that some of the greatest world leaders have followed this example, his teachings, right. what made Jesus and what made his teaching so unique, so memorable, so remarkable. So I started to explore myself and then found those stories to be fascinating and just as true in a sense uh, to me when I was reading them as I think they were back then. Right. So I want to fast forward now because you've developed a ministry with youth here at Round Hill Community Church. It definitely includes people from within the church, but you've also attracted some students from outside in the wider community. And you've traveled with them to the Cheyenne River Sutri Reservation out in uh, South Dakota. So is it, what's it like to ask the God question or the Jesus question with youth today? Is it easy, difficult, awkward? How do you, uh, how do you open up the conversation so that people don't flee for the exits? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I think it, it, I think it can be awkward. Mm-hmm. I think it's initially, if that's your first introduction or if a student's first introduction to me is, so tell me how you view God. What's your relationship with God like? But we kind try, of starting at the deep end. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we try to start in the shallow end. You know, Good. Just get your toes in. <laughs> and really developing trust and a friendship. Uh-huh. And sometimes it will be weeks or months of shared experiences before even that topic or that conversation even really comes up in sort of a personal way. Oh, and what I've discovered is so many students have their own ideas about God or their own experiences that they are in fact eager to share Mm. and they have a lot of questions that they really want to share Mm -hmm. but what they're waiting for is the opportunity and the environment that can be safe for them Mm -hmm. to to come with their experiences with their ideas with their doubts with their hopes and so as you create that over time it gives them the freedom to to express those and when we do talk about Jesus what I've always discovered is that students have an idea of who Jesus was or what he taught, and they really like the essence of who Jesus was mm. and the essence of what he taught, mm-hmm. regardless of their faith tradition or their background. And as they learn more about Jesus and what he taught, they seem to be more and more and more interested and excited about those teachings. Mm. So we've been learning in the last probably 20 to 30 years that in the uh, culture at large, People are, in fact, still interested and inspired by the figure of Jesus and his passion for love and justice and peace. However, uh, they also pick up from the church sometimes a sense of exclusivity 
And um, are are the are the students you've been working with also picking that up? Would you say kind of the disparity between those two things? Absolutely. Uh, there's a book written by a man named Dan Kimball, and the title of the book is "They Love Jesus but Hate the Church." Oh, so that states it pretty yes. cleanly. <laughs> and, and I think it's been true for millennials I, when they sense a disconnect between the essence and the message of Jesus and how that is seen to be lived out and modeled in the church. Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus talks about. Uh, inclusivity and mm-hmm. welcome, and often churches are hallmarks of exclusivity and exclusion. Mm-hmm. And so I think people, students wrestle with that, and they want good examples. They want to see the values of Jesus lived out in the life of a faith community. Mm. And they're they're searching for that, and they're open to that. But very often they've been disappointed and discouraged because of what they've seen or heard or what they've personally experienced sadly, which has left them to, to question the whole institution of the church. Not so much Jesus, mm-hmm. but the institution of the church and the people who call themselves Christians but perhaps aren't following in the way of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like the conversations you're having now are significantly different than the conversations you were having about faith when you were their age? I think so. And I think... Because the polarization of society, I think it's it's been it's more pol to me it's more polarized now than ever. Mm-hmm. I know it's always been uh, aspects of that, but now it seems again we're so polarized, and so questions that were being asked twenty or thirty years ago are different sets of questions. And so now our students are being raised in a world uh, where everything is global, and they get to know. Um, other students who of all walks of life. I mean, they're rubbing shoulders all the time and with very different students. And that wasn't the case as much decades prior. Mm-hmm. Uh, students kind of were in their, their homogenous groups, and so they knew that other types of views and beliefs and traditions and lifestyles were out there, but it never really touched them as a person. And now it, that does, and so they ask the question of, well, why can't, all of my friends be welcomed and included, and why do we have to make distinctions and separations? Hmm. I want to actually ask this question of of both of my teammates here in the room because I'm sitting with two highly uh, literate technophiles, maybe <laughs> if that's a word. Um, but technology technology today is seen in some ways to be an obstacle to spiritual well-being at times maybe because of our overuse of it or addiction to it or whatever. Um, so I w- I'd like to actually, in, in the context of ministry with youth, but also just in a broader sense in the church, how do you see uh, the technological advances that have happened, certainly since you started with ministry with youth, Dan? Um, you know, how have they helped the spiritual life and how do they hinder it? And I'm actually going to throw that in both of your directions. So. Um. Well, I think I think it can be one of the greatest helpers, but also one of the greatest hindrances because mm-hmm. we have such an access to information at our fingertips. If we want to learn about a specific person or historical figure or uh, have a question for the community, we can get that information out really quickly, get answers back almost instantly. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also have have the ability to access our community very quickly. We can send a note to a friend or if we're having a tough day, you can connect on that level. Right. Um, but I think there is that, but that also pulls you from where you are, from FaceTime with 
the community you're mm. physically in. Mm-hmm. And so while there is great <laughs> there is great potential, there's also can be great uh, disconnect that's created by it. Mm. Dan, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I agree. And l- I'll give you an example. So every summer we take a group of students, high school students, to, uh, to South Dakota mm-hmm. to spend a week in the reservation. Um, with the Lakota people. And one of the stipulations is that the students cannot have their phones. Mm-hmm. And so we actually take their phones and they start to twitch. I mean, they're so fidgety when, you, <laughs> when they can't be connected. And it's really, really a hard. withdrawal. Oh, absolutely. And we bring medication for that. And no, it's hard for them the first 24 hours, 48 hours. But without fail, every single student by the end of the week mm would comment that they were so glad that they didn't have their phones. Interesting. Because they felt for the first time in months or years that they could actually uh, hear themselves think. They could actually connect in a deeper level with people, sometimes with God as well. And they can always feel this pressure to have to be connected and to always be updating statuses. And when that happens, they can never actually be in the moment and in, in present hmm. that's i mean these are their words and so they thanked us and some of them didn't actually want to get their phones back because they didn't want to lose what they had just captured during that week and so i think to that end phones and technology can be a, a major distraction can can pull us away from being who we really are and from connecting deeply with other people with god deepening our faith um, but at the same time to leslie's point if used in the right way and the, the right amount of time, what's, what I use it for is to be able to always be in contact with students. So 20 years ago, you know, before the iPhone and Facebook and everything, you would see students once a week, maybe twice a week, and occasionally write letters, sure. which I completely forget how to do now. But thanks for the <laughs> nice pen. I do have a nice oh, pen. Yeah, sure. Thank you. You're welcome. But now we still see them FaceTime, but I can be direct connection with them daily. I can send them a text. I can post something on Facebook or Instagram. So students are always reminded that that we are there, that we care for them, mm. love them, that there's a caring presence in their lives, and they can always contact us and let us know how they're doing. So that extra sense of connectivity can be really helpful, mm-hmm. um, and it can really help build community in a, in a stronger way than perhaps ever before. Mm-hmm. But again, it's with any kind of tool, it has to be used properly. And we're trying to teach students how to do that. Mm. As I'm listening to both of you, I'm thinking that, you know, Christian tradition has these wonderful practices, um, prayer, fasting, keeping the Sabbath, keeping either a day or a part of a day every week as holy and set apart. And it sounds to me like uh, in some ways we're recovering that. We're learning how to do that with the technology to engage it in a meaningful way to be accompanying one another, but also to step away from it so we're free from it, free enough to be able to use it well. Um, are you seeing in, I mean, we, we connect you, Dan, with ministry with youth, but we know that your ministry, especially at Round Hill Community Church, does include all ages. You're visiting people, you're connecting, you're caring for people when they're in the hospital. Um, do you think that there is a new interest in these ancient practices among people of the varied ages that you're interacting with? Oh, I think so. I think people are, are longing for that. Life is so busy right now, and there's so much stress and anxiety mm-hmm. in trying to, to keep up with society and in a rapidly changing culture. 
So I think people are looking for ways and practices to slow down mm-hmm. and to reconnect with God, to reconnect with themselves. And they're, they're de- and part of our responsibility and privilege is to guide them to some of these ancient practices that are just as real and relevant today. I mean, take an example of fasting. Mm-hmm. So it may not be fasting from a particular food item, but we might say, you know, putting something down for a season is sure. really helpful. Mm-hmm. Perhaps you fast from Facebook or mm-hmm. from some certain technology or something that is clearly a distraction that doesn't allow you to be silent and to be still and to listen. Mm. And as people are rediscovering these practices, ancient practices, but they're contemporized, I think, in mm-hmm. a way, made more relevant and real, uh, they're, they're, they're rediscovering passion sometimes and rediscovering faith because it's something out of the ordinary that's brought into their everyday lives. So I think they're very appreciative of that. Mm-hmm. Well, we're really appreciative of everything that you've been doing and are doing and will do in the future. And uh, we'd like to ask you a question we ask all of our guests. Is there a thought for the day that you would like to share with our listeners? Uh, something maybe that's on your mind that's inspiring you or feeling that you're you know, engaged by this this idea that's helping you to go out and do the work that God has called you to do? Yes. Well, so this Wednesday is Ash Wednesday, and Mm -hmm. it's the beginning of our Lenten journey. So the thought of the day is you're going to die. Mm. So (laughs) it's a good thought, right? (laughs) It's a memorable thought. It's a memorable thought. Everyone, you're going (laughs) to die. But wait, the thought's not... Is it comma? Yeah, Yeah, comma. (laughs) Comma. Yes. So live each day as it could be your last. Mm. And I think by doing that, you can rediscover the, the beauty of life and make every conversation, every moment, mm-hmm. every, every hug, every meal really count and make it, make it special. Mm. Dan, thank you so much for making our lives special in many ways. And we wish you continued blessings on the journey ahead. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. Roundhill Radio is brought to you by the members and friends of Roundhill Community Church. You can find more episodes on iTunes, SoundCloud, and roundhillcommunitychurch.org.